Good morning to you. Good to see you this morning. I want to uh, share a few, for a few moments this morning on the uh, theme or subject of prophecy and prophets. Prophecy and prophets. And I have to, um, I'm going to ask Pat in just a moment to put some of the scriptures that we have to share together up on the overhead. But to, uh, to begin, uh, this is really what I'd like to accomplish, what I feel should be accomplished. It's not so much what I want to accomplish, but what I feel should be accomplished uh, this morning is this, is that uh, uh, when we, uh, you know, in about two hours' time when we leave, <laughs> in, in a few moments when we, uh, when we dismiss, um, that we would leave with a greater desire than we had when we came in to uh, find ourselves on a regular basis, daily basis, uh, personal, personal basis, reading the Scriptures. This is the great desire that I have this morning, is that uh, in this time that we have in the next few minutes, that you would be encouraged um, to, and if you have done this, that you would be encouraged in it, and if you are not doing this, that you would be motivated from within to uh, make a decision that uh, the decision would be like this. You know, I am going to, on a daily basis, I'm going to take time and I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to read the Scriptures. And I know why I'm going to read them. And I'd like to begin by giving you, offering you a reason for for doing this, other than just, you know, being because it seems to be the right thing to do. I want to give you a real substantial reason for doing this. This reason that I'm about to give you is been uh, tried and tested now for thousands of years and this has never failed in the life of anyone who has done this and it will not fail in your life or my life either so let me begin by this uh, how the word works let's just discuss this for a few moments how the word works how the word of God and I'm speaking this morning about the word of God in the scriptures how the word actually works what the word does as you open your Bible in your own private little place, it might be your room or your car or whatever it is, it's a private place that you have. It's like a little personal sanctuary where it's quiet and you can meditate and you can think and you can concentrate on what you're reading. What the Word does is the Word informs and enlightens your mind and your spirit. This is what it begins to do. The moment you begin to open it and read it, with a great desire to ask the Lord to open it up to you, it begins to inform your mind, enlighten your mind, it informs your spirit, and it enlightens your spirit. That's exactly what it does. Because remember the Word, the Scriptures and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the Word, are never ever separated. They're never apart. The Word of God accompanies uh, the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God accompanies the Word of God. And they're inseparable, one from the other. Then as you uh, continue to read the Scriptures, uh, the Word begins to, the Scriptures, the Word as you begin to read it and continue to read it, the Word begins. Now this is a process that's dynamic. That means that it changes, it matures, it grows in your life. And uh, it begins to, the Word as you read it, it begins to commune with you. I was tempted to say it begins to communicate, but it's deeper than just communication. It's communion. It begins to commune with you. And you begin to ask questions 
and you begin to receive answers to those questions, and there's a communion that, that goes beyond just simple communication. And in this communion with the Word, the Word then begins to convince you of many, many things. The Word convinces you. The Word persuades you of certain truths. And in this great ability that the Word has to uh, convince you and me of things and persuade us of things, it persuades us of righteousness. What is right and what is wrong? It persuades us of holiness. It persuades us in terms of whether or not we should be convicted of sin in our life or whether we should think, well, it's no big deal. Everybody does that and it's nothing to, be, to worry about. The Word convinces us. And this process results in changes in the life. It transforms. It begins to transform the life. And the changes it makes in the life have foundations. This is something that's great because the changes have foundations. You know, you can kind of present an emotional environment for people and people will change in that emotional environment. And when they get away from the emotion of the environment, then they go back to the way they were before. But this doesn't do that. Because the changes the Word makes in this communion with the Word, and you get this by daily Bible reading from the heart, it brings foundation or reasons why, reasons for the changes. So if somebody were to say then to you, well, why have you, uh, why do you do this this way? Why do you don't, why do you not do that? Then you know, you don't have to even think about it. The answer is right there in your heart and mind. And as you present the answer, this is a foundation that has been laid by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And as you present the answer, or the rationale for that foundation, this Word and the Spirit are right there. And there's a great witness as you share those reasons. And then the result, of course, continuing in this, that results in wisdom. Wisdom, so you're able to make decisions with wisdom. You're able to see things that are uncommon. Ordinarily, you would never see them, but now you see them. You have understanding that you never had before. It's just in your natural, you would never have this understanding, but now you have this understanding. Now you see things the way they really are. You have a profound depth of understanding and purpose in your life. Purpose in your life that we all long for is purpose. And this is, somebody wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Well, this is the reason for the purpose driven life. So that, that's the way we'd like to begin this morning. And now I want to take you to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 44 and uh, verse number 7. Prophecy and prophets that God, first of all, to begin is God is the author of prophecy. God is the author of prophecy. And here's the passage from Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last Besides me, there is no God. Verse 7. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. In other words, who can predict and who can state the facts before they occur? I, the Lord, this is as the Lord is speaking to us, He's saying, I can do these things. Who can do these things? If anyone can do these things, let him come forward. But 
I alone, the Lord alone, is able to do these things. That is to uh, state the event before it has occurred or predict he is the author of prophecy. Now in the prophecy that we find in the scriptures, those prophetic statements the Lord makes through the word of God, through the inspired scriptures, there's two dimensions to it. And one is uh, the idea of uh, foretelling events that we have uh, often think about in terms of prophecy is to foretell an event before it has occurred. And we find, and I'll stay it, uh, state it even right now, that there are, there, there are in the Old Testament uh, more than 300 prophecies pertaining to the Messiah. There are more than 300 prophecies pertaining to the Messiah in the Old Testament Scriptures alone. And so the Scriptures, of course, especially the Old Testament Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures are full of prophecy in the sense of foretelling events. But prophecy is also the idea of forthtelling. We've heard this expressed many times. So there's foretelling and there's forthtelling. And the one is no less prophetic than the other. So prophecy is not always just the idea of foretelling, but prophecy is the statements that declare what God is saying, what God has said, God's heart, God's mind, God's instructions. Anything that God has given to a human being to say is prophecy, whether it is predictive prophecy or whether it is truth that is stated. Now, uh, In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, Pat will put that one up for us, we have this statement, of course, in 2 Peter, and it tells us that uh, prophecy, anything that we find in Scripture that God has stated, can be relied upon. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 18 through 21, and here it is, we'll begin with verse 18. And it says, And we heard this voice, Peter speaking again now. We heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mount. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's all. Just verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter discusses the, the fact that prophecy, of course, can be relied upon. Now, one of the reasons uh, that we should be thinking in terms of prophecy and how it can be relied upon is because we find ourselves again in, uh, and we're going to find ourselves here for some time, we find ourselves in times that are very difficult to navigate, perilous times. And when we look around, oftentimes we find it difficult to believe that everything is in control, that everything has a final outcome. It seems oftentimes that, uh, well, how can, you know, is God in charge? Is God in control of all of these things? But as we look at the Scriptures and as we look at how prophecy unfolds throughout the Scriptures, we are amazed how that um, 
the word of God will be fulfilled. This is the thing that we will find ourselves coming to this conclusion time after time, is that the word of God will triumph. The word of God must be fulfilled. The word of God will be fulfilled. It doesn't matter what the appearances are, the word of God will be fulfilled. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, and the first five verses, there's some interesting passages that uh, tells us how to test genuine prophecy, how uh, prophecy can be tested to see if it is genuine or not. There are people in the world who are gifted. There are people in the world who are able to state events that have not yet occurred. And oftentimes they are accurate. And so they are able to see things that have not yet occurred, but they are not true prophets of God. So people say, well, my, 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 if somebody could actually predict something that has not occurred, there are clairvoyants, there are all kinds of people who are able to see things that have not occurred. There are people who can predict up to a point events that have not yet occurred and happened, and yet those people are not of God. How do we test that? This passage of Scripture instructs us, Deuteronomy chapter 13, the first five verses. Here we are, verse 1. It says, if a prophet or someone who has dreams arises among you and proclaims a sign or wonder to you, and that sign or wonder he has promised you comes about. Notice this, that actually he has proclaimed something and it comes to pass. But the scripture goes on. But he says, let us follow other gods which you have not known and let us worship them. Verse 3. Do not listen to that prophet's words or to that dreamer. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. There are many things that the Lord permits to occur. And these are permitted as a kind of test. Now I can say this with confidence too based on the word of God. That all of those individuals who are false prophets who have the ability to predict events accurately up to a point but they're false because they're false in their teaching. They're false in their understanding of the Word of God. That they cannot predict with accuracy 100%. They will always fail at some point. A true prophet of God will be uh, accurate 100% of the time. Now, verse number 3. He says, Do not listen to that prophet's words or to that dreamer, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Verse 4. You must follow the Lord your God and fear Him. You must keep His commands and listen to His voice. And you must worship Him and remain faithful to Him. Now in the next verse, this is in the Old Testament of course, according to the law of God, verse number 5, it says that prophet or dreamer must be put to death. Because he has urged rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery to turn you from the way the Lord your God has commanded you to walk. And you must purge the evil from you. So to um, review that passage of scripture, if someone arises, if someone arises who has an ability to uh, prophetically state something in a predictive way, and it actually comes to pass that way, 
But at the same time, that person has false doctrine, false teaching, and is encouraging the Lord's people in a way that is false, then do not listen to that person. Because it is something that is allowing God's people to be tested to see whether or not they will be led by His Word, by the Spirit of His teachings, and not just by signs and wonders and dreams that people have. There are two places in the Old Testament, if you want to read, that are just full of prophecy pertaining to the Messiah, especially the coming of the Lord Jesus. And that would be the Psalms. Uh, David, of course, uh, wrote most of the Psalms, and David was a prophet. You think of David as a king. He was a king, but also David was a prophet. And then the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah just has dozens and dozens and dozens of, of prophecies pertaining to the coming of the Messiah. And here's a, a bird's eye view from the uh, prophecies of Isaiah. And here they are. And I'll just read these to you from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah predicted that the future Messiah would, and here's a list of things, that he would be rejected like the rejected stone in the building of the temple, that he would have his way prepared by a wilderness prophet, that he would spend time in Galilee teaching the people of Galilee, and that he would warn others to avoid hypocrisy, that he would restore eyesight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, that he would make the lame walk, that he would be a, that he would be a gentle spirit, excuse me, he would be a gentle spirit-filled servant, that he would teach both Jews and Gentiles, and he would teach people to take care of the hungry and the needs of others. That he would preach to the poor and would do a work of healing to comfort those in sorrow and to bring discomfort to the careless. That he would be taken a prisoner and unjustly given the death penalty. He would be silent in his own defense when others would seek to kill him. That he would go through suffering that would change his appearance. He would be so badly abused and violently treated that his appearance would be changed by it. That he would allow others to whip his back. That he would allow others to spit in his face. All this is predicted by Isaiah. That he would die not from the mistreatment of the people, but from the weight of the sins of the world. That he would die with criminals that he would have a burial site provided by a very rich person. And that's kind of a bird's eye view from the writings of the prophet Isaiah 500 years before the Messiah came into the world, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Then there is this other thing to consider this morning, and uh, it is the impossibility of all of these messianic prophecies being fulfilled by some kind of chance. It's just an impossible thing. Many people have studied this uh, exhaustively to try to determine mathematically uh, what the odds would be of all of these prophecies being fulfilled in somebody by chance. There was a uh, mathematician in California. His name is Peter Stoner. Peter Stoner. And he made an interesting experiment with his class. He had 48 students in his class. 
And he took one of the Messianic uh, prophecies from the Old Testament and he gave one of these to each of the 48 students. And he asked each student to examine that prophecy you know, to read it, to study it, to be able to discuss it, to be able to talk to the class about it, give the class a, a description of the prophecy and how the prophecy was fulfilled and when it was fulfilled and so on. Forty-eight only. Forty-eight prophecies, one to each student in the class. And then he wanted to determine the laws of mathematical probability that all of these could have been fulfilled in the same person, the same lifespan, by chance. And after they did their study and conducted their study mathematically, they came with these figures that the odds or the chances of all of these prophecies, 48 only prophecies, and remember there are more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament alone pertaining to the Messiah. So the odds of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one person in one lifespan by chance were one in, and can you, if you can capture these numbers, it would be one chance in 10 to the 157th power. Or that would be one, one chance in one, and then 181 zeros after it. And the conclusion, of course, is mathematically, it is uh, impossible. Not just improbable, but impossible. Now, when we come to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, very interesting person, of course, the tax uh, collector, former tax collector, became a disciple of Jesus. And uh, Matthew, as you begin to read the book of Matthew, you find that Matthew is writing his gospel to Jews. He's writing to those who are trained in the Old Testament scriptures. And he basically is convincing them, based on the Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the Christ. And he goes through the life of Jesus and he points out in all of the events surrounding the birth of the, the Messiah, the events surrounding his ministry and his childhood, <coughs> and how that uh, these events were all fulfilled, fulfillments of prophecy, predictions made hundreds of years before. And here's a list of some of these. Number one, I'll give you maybe 14 prophecies here, just 14, just to kind of refresh the, the memory on these. Number one is the Messiah would be the seed of a woman. The seed of a woman. This, of course, is predicted way back in the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that he would be the seed of the woman. That there would be such a phenomenon would occur. Is, is a miraculous, impossible thing. Seed of the woman, you see. This is, of course, is fulfilled, as stated in Revelation and in Galatians. The second one is that the Messiah would be in the line of Shem. Remember the sons of Noah? Ham? Can you give me another one? Shem and the third one? Japheth? Japheth? <laughs> and the uh, scriptures, of course, prophesied in Genesis that the Messiah would come from the line of Shem, one of the sons of Noah. Then the, th the third thing is the Messiah would be in the line of Abraham. He would come through the line of Abraham. The fourth thing is that the Messiah would be in the line of Isaac. The Messiah would come from the line of Isaac or descend through Isaac. The fifth is that the Messiah would descend through the line of Jacob. 
Do you see how all of these things have to all work out in order for predictive prophecy to be correct? You see, it's not a, it's not a question where human beings can just say, well, you know, if, I'm, if, if prophecy is going to be fulfilled, then I better start doing this. It doesn't work like that. Then the fifth is that the Messiah would descend through the line of Jacob. And then the sixth, the Messiah would descend from the tribe of Judah. Number seven, the Messiah would descend from David and rule on his throne. The eighth point is the Messiah would be born by a virgin, a virgin birth. Of course, that is prophesied in Isaiah and it is fulfilled again in Matthew points this out in his gospel. Number nine is the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now this is a fascinating one. Let me read you the prophecy from Micah, the Old Testament prophet Micah. Here, here it is. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah. There were two different Bethlehems. He points out one of them. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, you are little to be among the clans of Judah. Yet out of you shall one come forth for me who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from ancient days. That the Messiah would come forth. And that this person who would come forth would be from everlasting. See, it's just phenomenal that Micah would be able to state all this and write all this. And he was only able to do this through the unction and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who will open the word for you when you're reading on a daily basis in your private place. When you think about it with me this morning, just for a moment, of all the events that had to conspire and agree together before Jesus, who would be born to Mary, that he would actually be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, in Judea. There had to be Augustus, there had to be a Roman who had made an order that all the world under his domain would be taxed and a census would occur and everybody had to go to their hometown, so to speak, of their family in order to be assessed there. And all of this had to go forth before Joseph would take Mary and they would go down, you see, to Bethlehem and so on for this. All of these events had to be fulfilled for this to occur. Then the tenth one is the Messiah would be born during a time of massacre. This is the destruction of all the little boys under the age of two who would be killed by order of Herod. The eleventh is the Messiah would come from Egypt as a child. <coughs> See, this was very perplexing to the Jewish teachers even. How in the world can the Messiah come out of Egypt, be born in Bethlehem, and be called a Nazarene? How could all that happen? You see, let's let's just take a moment and and sympathize with the, with them, because we're looking at it in hindsight and it's all clear to us. But think about us today and how we're trying to understand things today. We're trying to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. Where is he going to come from? Is he in the world now? Now we have all these questions about the fulfillment fulfillment of prophecy at the end time. 
Now, I do say there are a lot of answers we have, too, but we still have questions about the how and the when and the, and the exactly the who's going to do this and where are they going to do it and so on and so forth. But remember, then, he would be called a Nazarene. He would be born in Bethlehem. I'll call my son out of Egypt. How could that all happen one person? But it did. And you can clearly see and understand how it happened. And then, of course, the twelfth is the Messiah would be called a Nazarene, what we just mentioned. Thirteen is the Messiah would be preceded by a forerunner. Someone would come before him to prepare the way for him. Well, we know who that person was. Matthew, of course, in his Gospel, points all of these things out to persuade the Jewish mind that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And the 14th is the Messiah would begin his ministry in Galilee. And Matthew points this out as well. And so I mentioned some of these things this morning. And my purpose in mentioning these few things with you today, and looking at some of these passages, is to encourage you to open your Bibles on a regular daily basis. If you would like to begin with opening your Bible and looking especially at the prophecies of the Scripture, the prophecies of the Old Testament. And I've just listed a few of them. And and get into those and read those yourself. Read the prophecy. Go over and read the fulfillment. Put it in the context. Read before the prophecy and read after it. Put it in the context. And then read in the fulfillment. Read before and read after and read it. Do that every day. Do that on a regular daily basis. And, you know, what will happen is your uh, confidence in the future, your confidence in what's happening in Iraq, or your confidence in what's happening in elections that we're faced with, or your confidence in the 21st century will be increased tremendously. The other thing that will be increased tremendously is your faith in God. What will be increased also is your sense of dependence upon Him and that you are answerable to Him. And your love for Him will be enhanced and increased in a tremendous way. And you'll find yourself in your own thinking and decisions, just naturally you'll find yourself wanting to please Him in everything you do and seeking His will. And the idea will come very clearly from Scripture is that he's not just interested in great big happenings in the world, but he's also fascinated and enormously interested in you and me and the decisions that we make and why we make them. And so in order to do that, what I'm going to, and Pat will put up this Internet site, and I want to ask you to go to it. There it is. Can you read it? <laughs> if you have a computer, then go to www.shama.ca. You'll find a page called Documents. And the page called Documents, you'll find in there a PDF. Everybody has a Acrobat reader on your, on your computer. And there's a PDF file. And it'll have about 34 pages. And in those 34 pages, you'll have a comprehensive study on prophecy and prophets. Prophecy and prophets. 34 pages. 
and I would urge you and invite you to go there. And you can print that out if you want to. If you have a printer, you can print it right out and put it into a little book and study that on a daily basis. And if you do not have access to that, just tell me, ask me, I'll print it out for you. I'll print it out for you. I'm only going to print a bunch of them out unnecessarily. Everybody has the paraphernalia pretty much to do all that. But if you don't, then just ask me and I'll print it out. I'll be glad to print it out for you. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Your heart. You know, I just we say bow our heads and Heart, just basically be reverent is all because we want to come before our Father in Heaven and we come before Him in reverence. And also, for our Father, this morning we come before You in the name of Jesus. That name that is above every name that can be named anywhere, heaven, earth, under the earth, anywhere. The supremacy of the name of Jesus. We come before You, Father, in Jesus' name. We ask you to instill into our minds and into our hearts and in our decision-making the importance of what we are discussing today and the importance of the personal devotion to the Word. Even in the few moments we have before we close now today, may you by your Word and by your persuasion, by your Spirit, convince me and all of us here that the greatest decision we could ever make would be to open our Bible before you in your presence, on our knee, asking you to reveal your word to us and do that every day. There's a lot of preaching and teaching will just go right over and around us and bypass us if we do not do that. If we do that, then the things that you have to say to us through others will be able to be perceived and received by us in a marvelous way. And so we thank you for being with us today. We thank you for guiding our steps today. We look forward to you guiding our steps through our understanding of your word and confidence in your prophetic insights and statements. And we are confident that everything that you have said so far has been fulfilled exactly as you said it. And we know, therefore, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we're on real solid footing going forward today. And everything that will occur will occur according to your statements and according to your word. Now prepare us, Lord, for the journey that is ahead. Let us be actively involved in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in ways that we haven't yet known. Prepare us and equip us, each one of us, no matter what our age might be, for what is ahead for us. Guard us and keep us from foolish decisions. Keep us from all harm, especially the harm of the Spirit. We love you this morning. We reverently pray and ask you, Lord, to intercede on our behalf in these things. We know that you will do it. In Jesus' name, amen.